Look, the last time we spoke, Don, we we touched on the fact that physics and evolution agree. Space-time is doomed. At this point, um, it is not fundamental reality, nor are its objects. And today, I think our focus is going to be on your paper, Conscious Agents and the Subatomic World, which I've read a couple times, and still I don't think I understand it as much as okay. I would have to. <laughs> it's very complicated. Obviously, I don't have a physics background, um, but I'm hoping this conversation is going to help enlighten me a bit more. Wonderful paper, by the way. How was it working with uh, Chetan and Swapam again? How's it going? Very, very fun. Uh, you know, Chetan has been a collaborator for more than 30 years. So we, we go back a long time yeah. from our youth. <laughs> and so we're continuing to have fun collaborating with each other. You know, we bounce ideas back and forth. He's the mathematical genius. I'm the mathematical flunky. <laughs> but uh, he, he's trained me enough so I can actually talk with him about it. And then he can do the actual hard math stuff. Yeah. And then uh, Schwapon is a, um, a world-class um, experimental particle physicist. He's at CERN and the Fermilab, and uh, he contacted us okay. out of the blue earlier this year. He'd seen our work uh, on consciousness and its possible relationship to, to particle physics, and um, he thought that there's some possible good stuff there. And so he... he um, looked at what we were doing in the, in the paper. I just, uh, we, we were already halfway through that paper yeah. um, writing it um, when he contacted us and, and uh, he decided to join join forces and work with us on it. So we're really glad to have a, a real, you know, um, professor of um, particle physics. He's a professor at UC Berkeley now, now emeritus, but then also at CERN and Fermilab. So Schwapon has, has been very, very helpful. He, he, he's a no nonsense guy. He, he knows um, what's real and what's not. And so he helps really um, guide us in terms of the, the we have to be daring, but sometimes you're daring and, 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 and obviously wrong. So he helps us. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And the fact that you guys have someone like that. I mean, in this paper, you propose a mathematical model in which conscious agents are fundamental and interact via Markovian dynamics. And some agents create space-time as an interface whereby they interact um, and physics is the projection of that ancient dynamics onto the interface. So this is quite a fascinating idea altogether. I mean, in a nutshell, you're basically saying that conscious agents create the subatomic world. Let's let's start by exploring that basic concept. That, that, that's right. So it is out of the box, but but here's what I think is the current state of play in physics um, that calls for out of the box thinking like this, and and that is that you know, space time. First, space and time were the foundation for Newtonian mechanics. And that was fantastic for, for several centuries. And so successful that many physicists, like in the 1890s, figured that uh, it was done. Physics had little mop-up jobs to do here and there, but it was done. And bright students should go elsewhere, to you know, because there was just nothing for really bright people to do. Well, that all blew apart in 1900 and then 1905 with uh, Planck's work and then Einstein's work. And basically by 1905, it, it was over for space and time. And it was over for Newtonian as, as being fundamental. Of course, we still use Newton to this day, but, but as a fundamental theory, it was over. But it took a few decades for some to, to find that out, right? You know, the 1922 Nobel Committee giving Einstein his prize made it clear it was not for relativity theory, not for his theory of space-time. So, so, I mean, even though it, it had been over for 17 years, um, it, it takes a lo long time for the community to, to understand and, and, and move on. 
Well, so now um, Einstein's space time has been a found, fantastic foundation for more than a century. Mm-hmm. Special and general relativity theories. But in 2005, David Gross, the Nobel Prize winner for his work on the strong force, um, you know, wrote a, an article that was, of course, uh, you know, in honor of Einstein on the 100th anniversary of his 1905 miracle year and his special theory of relativity. But then he, he, you know, in the right spirit of science, he said space-time is doomed. You know, thank you, Einstein, for space-time. But now space-time is doomed. It's time for us to move on. And that's the way mm-hmm. good science is. And and since then, a lot of others have echoed the same thing. Uh, in, in Nimar Kani Hamed and uh, Nathan Seiberg and... and uh, Ed Witten and so forth, you know, are basically saying in their own words, space-time is doomed. And what that means is not that we're going to throw space-time away, but that it, it's it's not a deep enough structure to be thought of as foundational. It has specific limits. It, it has no operational meaning beyond the Planck scale, which is like 10 to the minus 33 centimeters and 10 to the minus 43 seconds. It, it just, it, it, it has... No operational meaning, which 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 means that it's it's not usable beyond that, and it, and it's really pointing to its own limitation. So so the question is, what? How do we go next? Because mm. most people think, well, you know, space time is the fundamental reality. How can I think outside? How could any objects or any entities be outside of space time? Space time is everything there is. That's the way we think, yeah. and and so this requires a new level of creativity because the idea is you have to open your mind. (laughs) Space-time is not fundamental. You have to think, could there be new structures entirely outside space-time, not curled up inside space-time, the little hidden dimensions are entirely outside. And, And in the last nine years, so this is relatively recent, um, physicists have published structures they've discovered beyond space-time not 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 curled up again in inside space-time entirely outside space-time and most people have no idea what that could even mean what what could you possibly mean about structures that are outside of space-time but that's that's where we're headed and so that's what we're doing in in our work on conscious agents and i'll just say the reason for what we're doing is is this the physicists uh have discovered structures that are that are static, like geometric objects and and um, structures like um, permutations and so forth. But but they haven't yet posited a dynamics that would account for these structures. And so the structures are like the amplitudehedron and and things called decorated permutations and and cosmological polytopes and so forth. So so they have these these structures, but you know ultimately physics goes after dynamics, but this is going to be different because these are going to be dynamical entities, not inside space-time, but dynamical entities utterly and completely outside of space-time. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's not going to be comfortable. What what in the world could we... What are these things that are not inside space-time? I mean, you and I are, you know, here we are inside space. What are these things that are not inside space-time that are dynamical and and what are they doing and why? So you can see that this is this is not a, a trivial endeavor, and, and you have to you know you, we're co- of course we're going to make mistakes here, so, and that's what we're so we're we're proposing. I'll, I'll put it in the um, 
the least tendentious way. We're just pr proposing that there are these dynamical entities beyond space-time that have a Markovian dynamics. Mm. And the argument for this Markovian dynamics in part is that we show how a Markovian dynamics projects to decorated permutations and and through and therefore through decorated permutations into space-time. So, so what we're doing is we're, we're saying the physicists discovered decorated permutations beyond space-time. And it's a big surprise. You know, permutations of what and for why, what, who, who ordered this, basically, you know, why, why should that be what we're discovering beyond space-time? And what we're saying is, well, um, we, we discovered that if you have any Markovian dynamical system, the so-called, the, the, the ergodic communicating classes of it, this, this, the recurrent communicating classes of the Markovian dynamics are classified by decorated permutation. So that's a new result in, in a paper we published in January. So we, 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 as far as we can tell, no one had ever published that before. And so we, we discovered that, and, and that gave us a way to take our Markovian dynamics and say, this could be a, a, a the kind of dynamics that's beyond space-time because it does map into these decorated permutations. And so there's some kind of dynamical entities yeah. That's the least tendentious way to put it. What we're proposing is more tendentious. We're saying, well, we're also after consciousness. We're interested in consciousness mm -hmm. and the hard problem of consciousness. What's the relationship between consciousness and brain activity? And and so we're trying to, in some sense, kill two birds with one stone. What, what's beyond space-time? And can we solve the hard problem of consciousness at the same time with that? So we're proposing these are dynamical entities that we'd call conscious agents. But, you know, the mathematics stands by itself. If you don't like the conscious interpretation, just say there are dynamical entities beyond space-time. But I'm interested in pursuing the conscious agent interpretation myself and how this can help us with the hard problem of consciousness. Um, I think, look, at the moment, you're doing very fascinating work. I've, I've got a lot of notes in front of me. I made tons of notes because your paper is quite extensive. As of today, I'm not sure. It's not yet published, if I'm correct, Don, the current paper. Uh, that's, that's right. It's going to be – we submitted it as a um, – contestant in a um, competition for the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And um, we're one of three winners um, oh, of that competition. And so it's going to be released on, on June 24th. So okay. um, there's going to be an online, um, I think, Zoom. Anybody that wants to can join in and I'll be talking for 20 minutes describing our work there. Uh, and then the other two uh, groups that are winning will also be describing their work. So it's June 24th at the Institute of Nomadic Sciences. You can just go online and, and, and it's free to log in. Okay, great. At some point, I will put a link to that. And just, by the way, for everyone listening or watching, I'll put the link to our previous conversation as well, because there we discussed conscious realism, user interface theory. We discussed quite a few things. Uh, but keeping on track with this paper, the theory of conscious agents, they, there's two assumptions. Pretty much they exist conscious experiences, such as the taste of chocolate or mood of elation that's something you've written and there exist probabilis probabilistic relations among experiences as well but then you go further to descri describe what are called ca nets so talk to me about what a ca net is and then we'll move from there and just go through the paper in a bit of a syst systematic approach that, that, that's right so the way i think to think about it that's the most easy for most people would be think about the twitterverse yeah. right that's a big interacting social network. There's millions of Twitter users, probably billions of tweets um, that are going along. Mm -hmm. And and if you think about it, you're you're following certain people. If you're a Twitter, you, you follow certain people. There may be a few dozen or a few hundred or a few thousand people that you're following. 
And there might be, you know, a few dozen, or if you're lucky, a few thousand or a few hundred thousand that are following you. And, and so uh, it's a really complicated social network. And there are lots of subgroups that are, they have their own interests and the things that they're, they're following and so forth. And, and so that's what you should think about when you think about this conscious agent network. There are a bunch of these agents, they're interacting, what they're passing instead of tweets is they're passing experiences. They're 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 affecting, and effectively, tweets are affecting your experiences. They're thinking how you they're, they're affecting how you think, what what videos you see, what 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 you're you know what cat video you're looking at and laughing at, and so they're affecting your experiences. So that's that's quite parallel, and so this is just um, doing a Markovian dynamics of this network of of conscious agents yes. and proposing that that's the fundamental reality. And, and and again, um, by the way, I'm I'm absolutely not doctrinaire about this. This is like uh, my attitude is we're, we're taking our first baby steps out of space time. Yeah, uh, of course, we're going to be wrong. <laughs> but you've got to you've got to do something precise. Mm. And 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 it's going to be, you know, I think future work will look at that as, as our work is simple. And but, hey, you know, it, it, it was bold and it was precise. And that's that's so we're, we're trying to make a bold and precise step outside of space-time and and we're proposing this markovian dynamics um so that's that's sort of the top level now i should say why you know you you mentioned that we're talking about um experiences and probabilistic relationships among experiences you might you might wonder well why in the world did they just do that i mean they're thinking about consciousness there's a lot of stuff in consciousness there's the self Mm. there's learning and memory and problem solving and intelligence and and there's just a ton of, of stuff that you know, free will. Why aren't they, you know, talking about all of that and, and, and putting that right into their model? And, and the reason we're not putting that right up front is the whole point of a scientific theory is to have as few assumptions up front as possible. If you throw in the kitchen sink, what are you going to explain? Mm-hmm. You, you want to, to make the work as hard as possible for you, as few and as trivial the assumptions as you possibly can, and then you have to do all the hard work to explain all this other stuff. So, so our attitude was, um, if we just say that there are conscious experiences, like the taste of chocolate, smell of garlic, whatever it might be, and probabilistic relationships among them, and we can then say, okay, the probabilistic relationships will be Markovian. Mm-hmm. There will be basically... Uh, it just means um, probability with a finite memory. That's that's all it really means. Probability with a finite memory of what happened in the past. Okay. We start with that. Um, then we can build networks of these interacting trivial conscious entities. But these networks, it, it, we, we can show, are computationally universal. So anything you can do with neural nets... You can do with these conscious agent nets, even though they start off with just experiences and probabilities of relationships among experiences. You can build anything that you want out of it because they're computationally universal. So we can build theories of learning, memory, problem solving, intelligence, and, and so forth. Uh, we can do all of that. And, and and it's even more interesting because Markovian dynamical systems are not limited to computation. The they're defined on you know probability spaces and the measurable sets in the probability spaces in which they're defined on need not be computable 
So th this could actually, we're not doing that right now in our work. We're, we're only looking at the computational aspects, but um, you know, if if we upgrade our brains, we might be able to go after the non-computational, the, the, the beyond computational aspects, but I'm happy just to look at the computation for now. But so, so that's sort of the, the, the top level view and why we picked what we picked. We, you know, if we put a self in there to begin with, it seems like we're just throwing too much of the kitchen sink in up front. Um, and, and same thing with intelligence and, 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 and even, uh, you know, specific kinds of memories. I mean, we have this one, just a finite memory of conscious agents, but then you think about humans, we have episodic memories and, and you know, memories about the things of learned in language, the structure of language, the, the the grammars of language that we know. And so there's lots of different kinds of memories, short-term memory, long-term memory. Yeah. So that will have to all build out of networks. So, so that's sort of the top level. I think that that approach is, is both, it's, it's a humble approach and very strategic in a sense. Obviously, you don't want to put too much out there and focus on too much. You want to maintain a core focus, and I think that's great. Um, but I think it's, it's also nice to see someone who's claiming something so extravagant. I mean, it, it, to some people, this is very outside the box. It's, it's, it's extremely out there. And when they approach you with, con with any questions, I always see, I love how humble your approach is. Because you'd expect someone who's claiming something so outrageous to actually say, defend themselves a lot, but you don't. You often say, your goal is to be proved wrong. You want people to actively prove you wrong. That is, that is something well, you can't yeah, That's science. Right? And I love that. Yeah, that's what I actually love about your approach to this whole thing. Um, so far, when you've started, since starting, how much, like, let's say, pushback have you gotten from the scientific community? This is, I'm just stepping well, up the paper for now. Just yeah, so my, a lot of my um, closer colleagues are, are, you know, studying consciousness, the hard problem of consciousness. And, and so my, my training is in cognitive neuroscience and, and artificial intelligence. And, and so a lot of my colleagues um, uh, and good friends who are physicalists and looking, after, looking for how the brain or computer systems could create consciousness. So we're all, we're all good buddies and friends and so forth. Um, uh, I think most of them aren't persuaded yeah. um, <laughs> by a long shot. And you know, I'm sure a few secretly think that, uh, you know, I, I, you know, he had a lot of promise, but look what he, he's squandering it, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, I'm sure it, it but you know they'll be polite and have a beer, and we'll we'll, we'll have a good discussion and and so forth. So, you know, and that's to be expected. I mean, it's it's there's nothing new under the sun. This is the way it's always been in science. The, the most of the quote unquote innovations turn out to be wrong, and and the ones that turn out to be right aren't usually recognized for a long time. And that's just that's just and and that's the way it should be. Science is a conservative. Um, Enterprise, in, in the sense that as a social institution, it's conservative. Of course, we you need entrepreneur, in, individual entrepreneurs within science to push different ideas and and take them to their limits, and, and of course, in most cases, be wrong. But but then science as a as a social institution checks and rechecks and shows you where you're wrong or where you need to polish your assumptions and, and so forth. So so yeah. I, but but then you know the pushback goes both ways. When my whenever I get together with my colleagues on stage who are physicalists. The, the one question I always ask is, okay, so um, you have a, a theory in which, um, you know, integrated information mm -hmm. patterns or uh, orchestrated 
collapse of quantum states of neuronal microtubules or some global workspace architecture, um, uh, you claim gives rise to conscious experiences. Okay, great. So what specific conscious experience, like the taste of chocolate or whatever, whatever, anyone you want. Can you give me one example where you say, um, this pattern of integrated information must be the taste of chocolate. It, and these are the reasons why that pattern of integration is necessarily the same thing or give rise to the taste of chocolate and could not possibly be the taste of vanilla. I mean, this is supposed to be a theory of consciousness. So um, what one conscious experience can you explain? Mm. And there's, and, and this is a, a stunning result. There is in all of the physicalist theories, and I include IIT in that group. Mm. They they may say it's not necessarily physicalist, but I'll, yes. Anyway, yeah. No, I, I include. I, I just spoke to Christoph Koch the other day, and I know it, it's almost it's kind of like an idealist um, and sorry a panpsychist approach, but you're not really panpsychist. Sure. Yeah, exactly. They would say, yeah, th th that's right. So so, but but I would say that they're trying to have some kind of you know computational core like integrated information mm. shape or something like that, that that gives rise or is identical to the so if, if you think it gives rise to it or, or is identical to it, give me one just give me one example where your theory works on ones i want one specific conscious experience that we can go test right if you don't have one a specific conscious experience that we can go test how can this be a theory of consciousness and, and so there's there's literally not one experience that has been able to be explained by any of these theories where they say this pattern of you know neuronal collapse of microtubules, you know uh, quantum states of neuronal microtubules must be the taste of chocolate or this global workspace architecture and, th and this pattern of activity must be the smell of uh, you know a cherry there's nothing on the table and, and and I think um, you know Steven Pinker understands this. He's he's a you know a, a friend of mine for many years and, and brilliant, and he likes the global workspace model. But he he says in his book, recent book, the Enlightenment Now book, um, I think twenty eighteen or something like that, that um, he likes the global workspace, but but the connection between the state of the global workspace and specific conscious experiences, he says, is something. Is the is the last dollop of the theory that will have to be stipulated, mm. and, and he's right. the The connections are stipulated, so they're there's not they're not explained, and that's the key thing. They're 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 saying we have a theory of consciousness, but no specific conscious experience is ever explained. It's always stipulated, and so so what I always say to my my friends is, look, you guys, you're you're stipulating these, you know, like the neuronal workspace. Uh, the global uh, global workspace architecture or IIT or uh, you know, orchestrated collapses. You're, you're stipulating that and you're stipulating these conscious experiences. And then you also have to stipulate the relationship between them. Mm. Well, I'm only stipulating the conscious experiences. Mm. And I propose to show you where space time and physical objects come from. So based on what we call Occam's razor, you know, the theory with the simplest set of assumptions wins, mm. this theory should prevail uh, because we don't have i don't have to stipulate as much as you stipulate so that's my attitude about it and, and one reason i took this direction if i could have given a physicalist theory i would have 
but I, I I realized decades ago it, it it's not possible mm-hmm. it's just not possible and why you know, why waste my time I, so it, as strange and as counterintuitive as it might be let's just let go of space time let's you mean if I have to let go of if I if I'm wrong that I have conscious experiences I'm not sure I'm right about anything. <laughs> So, so I'm, you know, again, I, I might be wrong, but, but boy, you know, so let's assume that there are conscious experiences, yeah. taste of chocolate, smell of, let's just make that mathematically precise. <clears throat> and then let's see if it's possible to boot up space time. And that's what this last paper is about. So, okay, well, finally, I can say we can have a Markovian dynamics of these conscious experiences interacting. And the, the physicist told us that we need to get it mapped onto decorated permutations if you're going to map it into space-time. Well, we can do that. We can map. That's a new mathematics, but we, we, we discovered this new mathematics. We map Markovian dynamics to canonically into decorated permutations. And then the physicists tell us how to take it into scattering amplitudes, like particle scattering in space-time. So that's, that's sort of the big picture about why we're making these bold, crazy moves beyond space-time. Um, the, the bottom line is, when you try to do it inside space-time, you learn first, space-time is doomed at 10 to the minus 33 centimeters. And second, the best and brightest minds, my colleagues are brilliant, these best and brightest minds on the planet cannot figure out how to boot up conscious experiences, not even one, from inside space-time. Yeah. And, and it's not because they're dumb, they're brilliant. It's just that you can't do it from within space-time. And, and that will be the lesson, but we had to really we had to spend a lot of hard work and a lot of careers mm. to learn that it can't be done. Don, are there any specific people you can think of who do not follow your theory or perhaps even go against it, whose you find relatively convincing or at least respect and admire their work? For example, someone with a neuroscientific theory or philosophical differences. Any people that stand out to you? Any theories? Oh well, I'll, I mean, I, I know most all all the big players and their friends, and I think they're brilliant, and I think that the theories are are, are brilliant. It's just that they're, I think they're brilliantly wrong. I, I think that, but the thing is that they have insights, and some of those insights might be salvageable and reused in a completely different framework. In other words, maybe there is something about integrated information theory that will turn out to be um, very interesting. But it won't be that it's how unintelligent and unconscious systems with the right kinds of information theoretic properties um, either give rise to consciousness or or just are conscious. Um, it's, it's going to be different. If we think of space-time not as the fundamental reality, but just as a user interface, maybe integrated information theory might be telling us something about what patterns in our user interface are giving us better pointers to the consciousness behind the interface so they're not they're not telling us how consciousness is created they're telling us how our how our interface sometimes sometimes the interface will give us better insights into consciousness and sometimes less so maybe it will you know there, there'll be a complete rethinking of of what they've done so it's not that their work will be lost but it will be just reinterpreted, just like a lot of Newtonian stuff gets reinterpreted, um, you know, in, in an Einstein framework and so forth. So, so yeah, no, I, yeah, I, there, you know, Stuart Hemroff, I, mean, I, yeah. I love to hang out with him, and, and you know, it's, these, these are all good people. 
um, in France. Um, so, yeah. What about uh, Bernardo Castrop? I mean, your thoughts on on his work and what he and everything he talks about regarding idealism. Well, Bernardo and I are, are good friends, and uh, I've I've begged him to come work with us. <clears throat> he's he's got he's a philosopher, but he also um, has another PhD with a lot of mathematical yeah. um, chops. So he. I mean, so I would love to, and uh, anytime Bernardo wants to come work with us, because you know, philosophically we're on the same page. Yes. Right? Our theory is an idealist theory, and um, and I respect Bernardo's um, decision to to spend his valuable time um, taking up the philosophical aspects of this, and, and we've decided to. I mean, there is a little philosophy in what we do, and 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 we have a collaborator, Robert Printner, who is a professor. I mean, I'm mean, not not a professor, but a, a, you know, his PhD is in one of his PhDs is in philosophy, mm. and so he brings a lot of philosophical sophistication that that I don't have um, to <laughs> to our work in idealism. But you know, my my background, I have a little bit of background in in philosophy enough to talk and get myself in trouble, but not enough to be a professional. <laughs> Uh, and and I don't know enough math to be a mathematician, but but I know how to collaborate with the the appropriate people who can listen to me and say, "Well, Don, it's not quite right, but here, this this will this will fix it." <laughs> uh, what is, what are your some of your favorite aspects of Bernardo's work? What 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 intrigues you most about it? Uh, well, I think that Bernardo is giving um, good philosophical arguments mm-hmm. for why physicalism. Um, is in some sense almost self-contradictory and and but but couldn't possibly be um the way forward and and why idealism shouldn't be dismissed i mean i think a lot of for most philosophers or well most people just in general the the a priori assumption is that of course space-time is fundamental and the burden of proof is in whoever wants to say that you know this consciousness stuff is is, I mean, surely you you have the burden of proof if you talk about consciousness being fundamental, because we all can see that space-time and particles and physical stuff is fundamental. Of course, brains are there and create consciousness. You have to be a fool, I mean, you know, to not to not think that. So, so Bernardo does a good job of turning the tables and saying, no, really, the burden of proof is on the physicalist, um, and science itself is already saying that we need to move into a post space-time framework for 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 science so so i like bernardo's work um and he's uh, he, he's very forceful uh, we have different personalities in terms of how we present our ideas we're very very different personalities but but he and i when we get together we, we get along like quite well quite well yeah no bernardo when i spoke when i had when i interviewed him he actually asked me during our round two he wants me to interrogate him a lot more intensely apparently so he, he, he likes to be challenged. He loves that active interrogation. <laughs> he said, don't That's be right. polite. <laughs> I was like, I can't help it, but he wants that. Anyway, let's go back to the paper, right? So we, we think of conscious agents, uh, trace change, decorated permutations, and then you go to the amplitude hindrance and then particles in space-time. Let's run through that process. How do we get from conscious agents to particles in space-time? Right, so... I mean, that's a very, it's a layered question because there's so much to actually go into that. There's so much. <laughs> I know. So I, maybe it would have a summary for now and we'll go into it a bit more in detail afterwards. Oh, just a summary? Oh, no, okay. So just we'll a top level summary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that the top level, the idea is that there are, there's a Markovian dynamics, which basically a Markovian dynamics is that 
the simplest probabilistic dynamics you could imagine. Was, which isn't to mean to say that it's simple, but it's just the simplest that that, that you could write down. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that dynamics of co- these, what we call conscious agents, but you know these entities beyond space time, certain there are certain patterns of the dynamics where you get coherence, where a, a group of them have a stable. Um, dynamical system. We, we, the, the, we call these re- recurrent communicating classes or ergodic. So you can have a big dynamical system, but but, but subsets of states um, are ergodic, and, and they give you little ergodic Markov chains where it, it's it. They have long-term behavior that can be described by a probability measure, an invariant probability measure, and it's these different ergodic subsets essentially of the dynamics that we've discovered map onto the decorated permutations. So the decorated permutations are basically telling you which states go together. Th- this group are together form an ergodic set, this group form an ergodic set. So that's what the decorated permutations are doing. So that's the new interpretation that we're proposing. Um, so that's the new, actually a new, as far as that we can tell, a new contribution to mathematics. Yes, yes. And, and then from that, the 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 physicist then can take the decorated permutations and um show that how they're related to um something called an amplitudehedron mm-hmm. and th- now this is not for all particles the amplitudehedron is only for massless yes. uh, particles yeah and it's also that it's a special case wh- where they it's a supersymmetry n equals four supersymmetric kind of thing so it, it's in some sense a toy model but it's um it's close enough to reality that, that that physicists take it quite seriously. And 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 more recent work, they've been able to let go of the toy and, and do it for all masses and spins. But but for for now, um, and we're we're trying to understand that that new work and connect with that as well. But but for now, you, we can say this map gives us for the massless particles, um, and we think also the massive um, a map through decorated permutations. That, through the amplitude heat and for the massless particles and and there into scattering in space time and, and by scattering i mean you know you have like the large hadron collider and and other you know fermilab colliders and so forth where you take particles at high velocities like two protons or an electron smashing into a proton mm-hmm. and you see it, it's um you see the particles smash into each other and then the stuff going out and you try to figure out what's going on it's like trying to figure out how cars are made by smashing them into each other and seeing all the wheel flies off and the hubcap and the engine. You, 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 you're, it's hard work. You can imagine. So how do you figure out, you know, it's not easy, but it takes a lot of, but that's what they're doing. They're, they're smashing particles together and seeing what flies out. And that's called particle scattering. Mm-hmm. And that's what you can predict using these decorated permutations mm-hmm. and the amplitude hedron. You can actually predict the probabilities, what they call the amplitudes for these. And so what we're doing now is, is saying, what properties of the conscious agent dynamics, these recurrent classes, correspond to mass, momentum, spin, energy? And how do the evolving Markovian dynamics project to what we look and see as scattering of particles in space-time? That's sort of the, the top-level picture. Okay. So look, it's interesting when you think, okay, so when you think of a collection of agents, um, I know at some point you mentioned in your paper, I think it was Erwin Schrodinger's essay, Mind and Matter. 
you, you mentioned how it links to this concept. How are these two linked, that concept of, or his book on mind and matter? Well, Schrodinger and, and a, a number of, of the early quantum theorists mm-hmm. um, were thinking about like the collapse of the wave function. Yeah. You know, that, so you have, in, in quantum theory, you have Schrodinger's equation for, for non-relativistic um, quantum systems. And you have this differential equation which shows how the state evolves as a function of time. And it's deterministic and unitary. But when you make a measurement, that equation no longer holds. If you if you want to actually say what value of the spin you got, or what value of the position you got, or momentum, um, you have a different operator. It's the the collapse operator, and and that's nonlinear. Mm. The Schrodinger equation is linear. So so you have this weird situation in quantum theory where when essentially you're not looking there's one evolution and when you look when you measure it's a different dynamics well that's not a very happy situation yeah for most scientists i mean that's that's not happy at all and and the you know of course that's led to all sorts of you know multiverse kinds of explanations and and um many worlds interpretations and 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 so forth um Basically, it's more of the many worlds, not the multiverse. Many worlds that that came out of that. <laughs> so, I think your at some point you you spoke about any collection of agents is itself an agent, um, yeah. and and then you said there is ultimately one agent, and that sort of links to this. Right, that, that, that's right. So yeah, that gets to what Schrodinger was after was, was there is some kind of unity yes. behind all this diversity, and and Schrodinger mm. was was looking at that. He he, I think was interested in some of the eastern mystical ideas mm. and, and 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 cites them and so there is this notion of of some whole wholeness some unity beyond space time and and maybe we're gonna have to go there david bohm also mm. in his book wholeness and the implicate order um has the same same idea this is different than his pilot wave work um you know but but his, his book wholeness and the implicate order is is going after the same kind of thing I think that Schrodinger was talking about that maybe we have to go to a deeper point of view in which there is a reality beyond space time yes. um, that is somehow unified and we go we do go there so yeah thanks for you know sort of putting me on track here we do go yeah. there with our work because we um it, it turns out to be the case that um, we can think about ever larger conscious agents mm-hmm. and. Then all, but any huge conscious agent can be articulated into uh, a bunch of interacting smaller conscious agents, which which constitute it, and and so we're we're sort of led to, you know, we can have um, accountable infinity of agents, which are all part of one agent. Then a, a, an ALF one, ALF two. There's the whole cantorarchy, Cantor's hierarchy of of infinities. We could imagine uh, uh, agents with you know ALF two trillion states <laughs> in it and having a dynamics and then all the sub agents that could come out of it yeah and ultimately this this line of thought leads you to say there's well there's ultimately just one agent but we could never 
actually write down the mathematics for it. Mm. We can only write down, you know, projections of it. You know, the 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 part the partial agents that 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 are part of it. But even there, we might be able to make uh, some progress. But it is interesting that the mathematics is, you know, if consciousness is fundamental and we're using this mathematics, there is one agent, um, and you can do a lot of mathematics, but you'll never get to that one agent. Your mathematics will never be able to, you, you can address projections of that one agent. You can do that. But you'll never be able to give the mathematical theory of the dynamics of that one agent. Yeah. Can't what are your thoughts on mathematical realism in general? Your views on that concept? I think that's a deep, deep question. And <laughs> I I go back and forth on it. My, uh, you know, I, the, the way it's typically put, do, you, are mathematical theorems invented or discovered? Mm. Right? That's, that's the, the yeah. big, the big divide. <clears throat> and My, I go I go back and forth on that <laughs> myself. I, I really go go back and forth. Somehow, my my feeling is that perhaps the the, equa- the the question itself is making a false division, and it's both. I mean that, that that in some sense, if we really understood this, if I even understood my own ideas about consciousness being fundamental deeply enough, I would realize that the, the difference between invention and discovery here was was um artificial on my part that yeah. that that I, I wasn't thinking deeply enough but but again I I'm not able to think deeply enough to to actually um say anything deeper about that so <laughs> if I had to bet on one I would say discovered okay. <laughs> not invented okay. but but my our own work on consciousness makes me head myself and say ultimately we may find that um invention is discovery yeah, and I so, I, so that's that's a very very deep one. Yeah, yeah no, it, it is kind of both. Um, back to the paper. So at some point you said a physicist discovered their surprise to their surprise, sorry, that decorated permutations invariantly categorize the physical content of scattering amplitudes for particles in space time, and then there you, you go on to say that you guys prove that Markov chains project. Can uh, can sorry. Um, where am I reading? Sorry. Project to decorated permutations and thus onto particle scattering. How do you guys prove that? Well, so we what we show is that um, we we prove it by actually writing down the projection. Yeah. <laughs> so you so so what we do in the paper is we say here for any Markov chain here is the algorithm by which you get a decorated permutation, mm-hmm. and and when you when you look at it, the the algorithm is basically telling you how to divide the entire state space of the Markov chain into this, the collections of states that have their own recurrent communicating class. Uh-huh. So, so the way we prove it is to actually do it. We, 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 we give you the prescription yeah. for, for the algorithm for doing it. I think on page 11, 11 of your paper, you discuss the, the precise hypotheses and you, and you label them one to six. I don't know if you want to go through that because that's actually quite a very fascinating component of this paper altogether. Right. Um, and obviously at some point when, when the paper is out, I will put a link for everyone listening or watching just to follow through. It, it should well. yeah, there, it should be, a link should be put up any day now by the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Right. Certainly by the 24th of June, which is just a week from Saturday. Yeah. Uh, the, it'll, be, it'll be up because that's when we're going to be doing it. I should probably pull up 
the paper. Um, but or I could just talk at top level about the. Hey, just so top maybe level. I should pull up the paper um, and just so you can go through those points. Yeah, I think so. That that'll be quite. I think good for the listeners and the viewers as well. I mean, number one, you talk about each elementary particle of the standard model of physics. Each boson, lepton, and quark is a projection of a recurrent communicating class and its Markovian kernel that arise in samplings of trace chains of conscious agents. That's the first one. And then you go on from right. there. Very fascinating work. Right. So I'll pull that. Page 11. Page 11. Okay. Mm. I mean, let's run through those hypotheses and discuss how you call you you act on i think that's a really good idea yeah okay so there it is okay each okay that right okay each elementary particle the standard model of physics each boson lepton and quark is a projection of a recurrent communicating class um and it's markovian kernel that arise in samplings of trace chains of, of conscious agents so it's one thing so what we're doing there is get back where i can see you okay um <laughs> So well, the first thing we're doing is we're saying there's going to be a mapping between the dynamics of conscious agents mm -hmm. and elementary particles in the standard model of physics. So the bosons, leptons, and quarks, those, those, the bosons are the mass, well, the, the, the force carriers. Yes. Some of them are massless, photons and, and gluons are massless. The others, the, the Higgs and the Z and uh, W plus and minus are, are massive. Mm -hmm. And then there's um, leptons, which are like electrons, muons, and taus, and electron neutrinos, tau neutrinos, and muon neutrinos. And then there are the quarks. Um, there are you know, up and down, charm and strange, and top and bottom quarks. So then, and that's the whole basic particles. Then you combine those to get other things like pions and mesons and other other, other things that, that you that you protons and neutrons. And so. Our, our the first thing that we're proposing is that there is a mapping between the conscious agent dynamics and these elementary particles, mm -hmm. and that is the recurrent communicating classes of the Markovian dynamics of conscious agents that will correspond to these elementary particles. Now, I should say, <clears throat> not every recurrent communicating class of the conscious agent dynamics will project to a particle. Yes. A probably a trivial subset there's the markovian dynamics is going to have a lot of stuff going on there yeah what we're doing here is saying okay ultimately we have to get a mapping from the conscious agent dynamics not just to particles but to um organisms to brains to neurons to neural networks and so we're gonna there's gonna be a mapping so what we're doing in this paper is saying the first connection we're going to try to make mm. is to elementary particles and so the obvious question is why yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you clearly do. everybody thinks that brain activity is related to, and you know, it's it's so why go after you know bosons, leptons, and quarks when surely the the, the low hanging fruit is the brain, and that's that's where we have the neural correlates of consciousness and so forth. So you guys are already you know shooting at the wrong target, and 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 the reason we're going after the elementary particles, um, it is because we we figure that. Those are the most simple connections that we can make. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I said that even though I'm not a particle physicist, I'm, I'm a you know, cognitive neuroscientist. For me, talking about the brain is much, much easier than talking about elementary particles. I'm having to do lots and lots of 
remedial reading and, and homework to even talk the lingo. And, and but but I realized it's 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 hopeless to go after the brain. It's too complicated. Mm. The, the the simplest thing inside space-time are these elementary particles. So if we're going to do this, the best shot we have is to connect to the elementary particles and then gradually work our way up. Okay, elementary particles. Now can we get to protons and neutrons? Oh, we okay. And then can we get to atoms? Yes. Now can we get to molecules? Now can we get to larger molecules? Now, okay, now we can try to maybe climb our way up to the brain, but that that's not going to happen in my lifetime. I mean, I, I if we can get the particles in my lifetime, I'll be delighted. <laughs> um, so that's that's our our strategy. Yeah. We're not going after particles because they're the most important thing or the most interesting thing. They're the simplest possible thing, which is not to say simple, but they're the simplest possible connection that we could make. So that's that's why we're we're going after them. And and most recurrent classes of the con- conscious dynamics will have nothing to do directly with particles. Most of it, but we're going to try to find the you know mappings that that do relate to particles, so we can st- build our way up. Mm. So that's sort of the Meaning of that first all. Mm. And the second one. So then number two, huh? Mm. Properties of a free particle, the spin, the mass, the energy, momentum, are projections of the properties of the kernel of the recurrent communicating class. For example, the periodicity, the entropy rates, hitting times, and stationary distributions of that communicating class. So the idea here is, it's one thing to say recurrent communicating classes correspond to at least some of them correspond to particles. Mm-hmm. But you need to do more. You need to say which particles, is, is it a boson, electronic quark? And you, all, you need to say, okay, what property of the recurrent communicating class of Mark, Markov dynamics corresponds to the energy? What corresponds to the mass, the momentum, and the spin? Right? Mm-hmm. No hand wave now, right? You said a recurrent communicating class projects to a particle. Well, particles have energy, momentum, spin, mass, then mass. Mm. So, where's the beef? What's in other words, you know, the very same thing I was pointing at my my good friends and colleagues, where I said, "Where's the beef? What's you know, what specific conscious experience can you get out of your theory?" The the same finger points back at me. You're saying recurrent communication classes give us position, momentum, spin. Well, give me one. Exactly what property of the recurrent communication class is the mass, Mm. for example. So we have a proposal for each one of those in this this, um, document. For mass, we propose it's what's called the entropy rate Mm -hmm. of the the dynamical system, of, of the recurrent communicating class. <clears throat> and entropy is, uh, you know, a measure. Everybody knows entropy is a measure of disorder. Yes. An entropy rate basically takes a Markovian kernel that has a bunch of rows and columns, right? It's it's a, you think of it as a square matrix. And if, if each row each row is a probability measure, essentially, each row of a Markovian kernel is a probability measure. So if it's an n by n matrix, you have each row is uh, has n entries in it, and in all the entries, sum to one. They're all they're all non-negative. They're, they're greater than zero. They're all between zero and one, and they, they all sum to to one. That's effectively what a Markovian kernel is. If you write down an n by n matrix, each row has numbers between only between zero and one, and each row sums to one. You've got a Markovian kernel. That's what it is. And if the re- 
if that Markovian kernel is is recurrent, that is that um, uh, any state within you have n states. If you can get from any state to any other state in a finite amount of time and back again, basically, uh, then it's recurrent. Yes. And it, and if it's if the entropies in the rows are not all zero. Mm. In other words, we have some. If, if if a row has just zeros, and then there's a single one in that row, that that's a legitimate row in general. But but the, um, a, a recurrent a recurrent class in which every row is like that is a periodic Markov chain. You and and you're and you're going basically from step you know state one to state three with probability one and then to state four with, you know, and then back to state two, whatever it might be, you're going from each one with probability one. So that's a periodic chain. Um, those each row has zero entropy in that case. Um, but what we what it's a little complicated, but I'll just say this, the entropy rate basically mm -hmm. says this saying that that's the mass means if the Markovian kernel is periodic, so if you're in this state, then you will necessarily with probably one go to that state. And, and there's, so there's a, it's, it's almost like a deterministic set of states that you go through in, and cycle. So you're cycling through states in a specific order that will have zero mass. So we, we propose that periodic kernels mm -hmm. map to massless particles. Yeah. Okay. Ma ma massless bosons. It makes a lot more sense when you say it. I mean, from reading the paper, it's a lot. It's a lot better to hear you say it. Yeah, it's, it's more. There's more intuition. This was the intuition that that sort of guided it. Um, well, uh, no, I'll tell you what the intuition was that guided it. But 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 in the case, of, I'll just say a little bit more of what it means, and I'll give you the intuition that, that go, guided go this. Do as, as much detail as you want, Don. Go go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So if 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 there are entries other than zeros and ones in your recurrent communicating class, then it's going to have mass according to this entry rate. It, it'll be massive. And the reason why we were thinking about it this way was the following intuition. What does, what does mass mean intuitively, right? This is what the kind of thinking you have to do when you're trying to make these connections. You have to say, okay, we're trying to say what aspect of conscious agent dynamics corresponds to physical mass we're going to have to think abstractly. What do we really, what is mass in the physical and at least inertial mass in, in some sense? Well, I'll just say mass in general has something to do with how much you can be influenced and how much you influence, right? If you, if, if you're massless, you have less influence than if you're massive. Mm. And so what would correspond to influence in the social network? Who, who are the, influencers in a social network so this is the way you have to think to, to because these these conscious agent networks are social networks so think you know the internet twitterverse and so forth well the influencers are those who have the most followers and and so if in other words they have the most connections the more so hoffman has a lot fewer connections on his website than google Google has, you know, a, a few, a couple dozen more connections than Hoffman has a lot more power and they're a lot richer. Yeah. So, so that, that's the notion of influence. How connected are you? Well, now if we look at this Markov chain, if this state has, 
in this row of the Markovian kernel has all zeros and only a single one, that means it's not talking to anybody except one guy. Yeah. He's only talking to one guy. Well, that's as little influence as you can have. And if you're talking only to yourself, <laughs> then you're then then you're 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 out you, you so so that was you can see the intuition that went into this. And so, but if you're if you're connected to everybody, mm. uh, you're going to be more influential. Well, if you look at how you're going to be connected to everybody, that means that the entropy in your row is going to increase. The the more connections you have in general, you're going to be having more non-zero entries in your row. And if every entry is non-zero, um, that's going to, in general, you know, it, it's a bit of a hand wave, but but it, it, it's going to, in general, mean that you're going to have greater and greater entropy. So we just said, okay, let's make it, um, in some sense, the, the influence of a state is the entropy of its row, mm -hmm. right? But now we're talking, we're, we have to give a, a, a an influence for the, in some sense, a mass to the whole recurrent class. So we need to weight all the, all the influences of those other guys. We have to weight them. What's the right weighting that we have to give to them? Well, the only there's only um, one canonical measure for the weighting is, is so-called invariant measure. It, it's the there is a probability measure that the, when you multiply. So if we have a kernel P, we'll call this matrix P, and we have a measure M. So M is the measure. If M times P equals M, that's called an invariant measure. So M P equals M. Um, there's for recurrent communicating class, there's a unique measure that has that property. And so that's the invariant measure is the measure that's left alone by the whole kernel. And so we use that to weight the entropies of the rows and that, and, and, Claude Shannon, you know, the inventor of information theory, he was the one who first defined entropy rate. I mean, I'm sort of giving sort of the kinds of ideas that might go into that, but, but Claude Shannon um, is the genius who invented information theory, and he came up with the definition of entropy rate. So we just borrowed Claude Shannon's mm. definition of entropy rate and said, that is, for the intuitions I just gave, give some notion of the influence or inertia mm -hmm. Um, of this group of interacting conscious agents. Yeah. Each, each row corresponds to an agent and, and its interactions. And that then leads to, as soon as you make that move, that means that periodic Markov chains, where you go from one state to the next state, you know, one agent talks only to this agent, he only talks to the next agent and so forth. They're massless. So somehow now, see, this is now that one definition gives us a real grip on things because we know that the massless particles always move at the speed of light, mm. right? So now we all, we get a handle. Okay. So, and the massive ones are always moving less than the speed of light in their projection into space time. Now, now, so that, so that gives us another thing. Then we can say, okay. Well, we have the mass, we, we made one other postulate, and that is that the, let me, let me go to the paper. Talk about periodicity, entropy rates, hitting times, and stationary distributions. That, that's right. Um, so let me, let me just go down to, so I'll make sure I say what we did 
correctly, yeah. <laughs> even though it's my own work. Um, I, I, mean, okay. I mean, we all often do. We write papers and then we do forget certain details. It's normal. Yeah, the, yeah here, here, saying the wrong, uh, it has to be said exactly right or you're wrong. Yeah, so, so the one what we're, one thing we're saying is that a communicating class, so this recurrent communicating class, if it has n states, mm-hmm. then it has momentum n. Yes. And it has a mass equal to its entry rate, we just talked about. Okay. So that so that's so I I, I bring that up because that's another postulate. Yes. The momentum is the number of states the number of agents in in the class that's the momentum and once you have those two things then the energy falls out right so so once once you have those then you then we used um well um there one could say we're cheating a little bit and and schwapon has suggested to me that we'll need to think more about this um we're using the physics equation now that relates energy momentum and mass um mass squared um but so we 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 do that for now and we may need to give deeper motivation for it later but but right now i'll I'll just say with that proviso once we have the momentum being the number of states and we have the mass being the entropy rate then the energy falls out as as um from from einstein from einstein's um special theory of relativity um and so so now we've got energy mass and momentum the spin is now spin is an interesting yeah. tricky thing um it's become a bit tricky there spin of a particle is is something that's i think counterintuitive to a lot of people it's it you know, if you if you're spinning you have a basketball player that's spinning a basketball on the fingertip. They can go at any speed that you want. You know, they can go fast, slow, but spin for per particles, you can only go spin at certain speeds and, mm-hmm. and there's no speed in between. <laughs> you, you, you jump at your, your spin values, mm-hmm. which so the spin is, is, um, is counterintuitive. What we, what we do is we use um, a branch of mathematics called geometric algebra, sort of a, a generalization of something called Clifford algebra. And we this 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 gets a little bit technical, but what we what we do is we use I'm trying to see if there's a way to say this. It, 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 here's an in- intuition. When a Markovian kernel, right, it, it's a it's an n by n matrix. You can ask yourself, what does it do if I have um, an n-dimensional space and I have unit vectors, a unit vector pointing in each of the n dimensions? Let's just think about three dimensions. Let me keep it real easy. So I have a, a, a three by three Markovian kernel. It's got three rows and three columns, and it's and I have I'm looking at three vectors. You know, my my finger, my thumb, that are orthogonal and that are um, each is uh, length one. And I ask, okay, when when this Markovian kernel acts, it's going to move these vectors around. That's what it does. It moves it it, it moves them around. It might shrink them. It might expand them. So so 
suppose I start off with a unit volume. So this is, I have three vectors and each is um, like one inch long. And so I've got a, a one inch uh, cube. It's a, a cube of one inch, one inch cube. When I act on it with the Markovian kernel, those vectors are going to move. They're going to like scrunch in or spread apart somehow. And some of them are going to get longer. I can't do that with my fingers. Some are going to get shorter. That would be too painful. But 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 what's going to happen is, um, and they may switch. Maybe maybe this one um, it was this order, but maybe this one switches over and and they 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 can cross in certain ways. So the volume of that they define, right? They're going to default here. They're a cube, but they're going to, in general, have a parallelogram of some kind or a parallel pipette, parallel pipette that they're going to define. And the volume is going to be um, somewhere between zero and one. It, it won't increase the volume, but it, it, it can decrease the volume and it can change the sign. It, it, um, if I think of this as a, you know, a, using a right hand rule that this is a positive sign volume, then maybe that is a negative sign volume. Okay. So it can, it can go be so it can change the volume which was one to any volume between minus one and plus one. Okay. So that's what the kernel is doing. Mm -hmm. And that operation on these basis vectors is what we call the spin. What it does to the volume is the spin. So that so there is a way to do it intuitively. Oh, that's that's okay. There is a way to do it intuitively. I, I, look, if you if you want to go into the finer detail, you're more than welcome though, Don. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was that was a good one because it wasn't very that, good. That, that that is actually an accurate. It was very um, an accurate description of what we're what we're saying is happening. What what the spin is, and by by the way, one thing that this then tells us is if only periodic chains are massless. Then you can, from what I just said, um, one can show that if the number of states is even, you have to again. I'll, I'll look at our paper because I have to say it exactly right. You rather make sure. Yes, um, this is tricky enough. It's very complicated. So I'm glad you actually have the paper on hand. <laughs> yeah, I just want to make um, make sure that I say it exactly right. I don't want to say it wrong and then have to. Yeah, then the comment section goes wild. That's right. <laughs> okay. So if C, if this class is massless and has N states, if N is even, then its matrix has to have spin minus one. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's spin one, but with minus sign, okay? Spin one, but minus sign. And if it's, if the number of states is odd, then it has um, spin one that's with positive sign. And what that means is you can't have you know, which page are you on, Don, at the moment? This is page um, 27. 
So let me just get that. Just a second to go. Yeah, what, what that means, it, it was stunning to me. What it means is if you have a massless particle, mm-hmm. according to our theory, and you change the sign of the spin, mm-hmm. plus one to minus one, it has to have a change in energy. Yes. Change, change in, yeah, the change in energy. It has to have. So you cannot have two massless particles mm-hmm. of the same energy and opposite spins. It's not possible. I see. So when I, so when I ran, when I realized that from our mathematics mm-hmm. and, and I, I thought, oh, well, that's, that's weird. That's, that seems to be, that's a very, very strange prediction. Mm. Oh, well, maybe that's where we're going to be shown to be wrong. I mean, that's, that's, that's really wild. Or, or, or if it's true, maybe, you know, it's, a, it, it, you can have N and N plus one. So maybe, you know, the, 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 there could be an energy of, you know, 1 million and then it has to be 1 million plus one. So maybe it'd be too small to, to see the, the, the difference. I was thinking. So, um, that's true. This just what I don't know about physics. Um, it was it was a couple of weeks later that um, I realized. No, this is what what they found is is that there's this fine structure to like the orbital, the electron orbitals. Mm-hmm. Now, now what what what's going on there is you in the Bohr model of the atom, you have these different orbitals, but when you look at them very really fine, you, you find that there are there's actually two two little bands there and so the, the photons that you're going to get aren't the same energy photons <laughs> they're actually there's this fine so so always and so there's a lot of fine structure there and so hmm. so that doesn't mean that we're right but it, it means that I, one thing that i thought well that's to blow us out of the water i mean this is a, a pretty strong prediction that there's going to be this fine structure well yeah there is a they, and they call it there, there is this hyperfine structure and and there's the fine structure constant. So now I'm very interested in looking at the, the fine structure constant and seeing how that plays a role in our Markovian dynamics. So 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 you but that by itself made me think, well, you know, of course we're probably wrong, but this is pretty this is a pretty interesting game now. We're, 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 you know, the math came and hit me in the face and said, you're predicting that you can't have two massless particles um, of opposite spin and have the same energy. That is a strong, strong prediction. I mean, there you, there you can be. I mean, surely you can be falsified right on the get-go from with that one. Yes. And it doesn't look like we're falsified right out of the get-go on that one. So, so that gives me hope. Not that we're ultimately right, but that um, this horse may have a lot of riding to do before we find out its limitations. I see. Was Chapon the was Chap, is, Am I pronouncing it correctly? Chapon. Was he part Trump of home. Yeah. Um, was he the one who figured this out, or was it was it you you got you and Prakash? Um, what did you guys come? I, to? I did. Oh, you did. Yeah, I, I was the one who. Okay. But then, as soon as I said it, Schwapon, of course, knew about the. Uh, <laughs> I mean, of course. Superfine structure. So it was it was me, you know, because of my ignorance, not knowing about it, and, and going through a couple of weeks of sweating and thinking about it. Um, I, I, I was the one who had first noticed that, oh, wow, we make this weird prediction. Mm. And, uh, and I worried about it for a couple of weeks and th- until I, I happened to run across a video. Um, I was doing some remedial physics training on myself, and I, I happened to run across this video on hyperfine structure. 
I said, you've got to be kidding me. I couldn't have asked for something better than that. <laughs> so it was, it was my ignorance. For Schwapon, it was just falling off a log. He, he understood this. And, and Chaitan, yeah. Nice. Okay, let's move on to number three then of the, of the hypothesis. Um, each projection is perceivable by some CA via a window of some finite number of steps in which the agent observes the corresponding trace chain. And yeah, I think at this point we can discuss trace chains and everything around that. Yes, let me... Pull up that. page 11. Oh, right, right, right. Page 11. Okay. Mm. Right. Yeah, I find this page actually. This I love the way you set this up. Oh, oh good. Good. Mm. It makes it a lot easier for, I mean, particularly for this interview and this conversation. Right. Yeah. And that was partly because the Institute of Noetic Sciences asked for a certain format in the in, in these proposals. So it was very helpful to to make it. And their goal was to try to make it accessible. So they, they did a good job um, yeah, of that. It's quite so so you're doing number three, okay? Each projection is perceivable by some CA via window. Look, unless unless there was something about number two that you still wanted to touch on, are you fine? Are we done with that one? Um Yeah, I'll I'll just say um one one other thing about two um that might be of interest, and that is um we I haven't yet worked out the like the notion of the velocity of particles in space-time. Mm. I see. But we know that, that the massless particles go at the speed of light. So we, we know that answer. So whatever our ultimate story is going to be about the massive particles and, and their speed. And I can just say at top level, the kind of thing I'm thinking about right now um, that, that our team is thinking about, but I won't, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm not going to blame my team for any bad ideas. So if it's a bad idea, it's 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 all Hoffman. If it's a good idea, it's the team. Um, and and that is, we want some notion of the of velocity within this Markov kernel that will translate to what we call through projection to velocities in space time. And the massless particles, which are the periodic ones, you, 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 that means that you know, from this state, you always go with probably one to that state and then probably one to the next. There's no messing around. You go bang, 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 bang. You, you, if, if there are n states, you go through a cycle in n steps. No, it, it takes you only n steps to go through a complete cycle and, and every cycle. Is, but for the other, if it's massive, then it might take you, if it, even if there's n states, it might take you um, five n steps before you actually start with one particle and, and visit all the other particles and get back to where you were, right? So that's there's a notion of, of you can see there's a notion of speed that, that that's very natural there. And it's um, technical term is the commuting time. So you can talk about the commuting time of an ergodic chain. And so what we're thinking about, what I'm thinking about, again, um, I won't blame them yet, <clears throat> is that the commuting times of within a communicating class are going to somehow be related to the velocities that we say the particle has in space-time. Um, but that hasn't been, that's not in our proposal and, and we're, we're still working on that. But, but given that I've already, you know, given my provisos, I'll just put it out there. It's, part, part of the reason I'm doing that is, is People can see how fun this is, right? You're you're, you're playing. I mean, this is you're exploring. You're playing, and you go. What about this? What is what if this property of the dynamics of conscious agents corresponds to what we call velocity in space time? 
of course I'm probably wrong, but hey, it's a fun idea. And you know, it's it's not obviously stupid. Um, and yeah. and we'll see. You know, it's the exploration that really matters. I mean, it's such an enjoyable journey. And watching you talk about it as well, you can tell how much you you're having fun discussing it. I mean, it's it's very apparent. <laughs> I'm like a kid in a candy store with this stuff. You know, you know all along that that of course you're probably probably wrong, but you also have a feeling that there may be something of this that that actually sticks. It may some of this may stick. We'll we'll see. Um, and so some will be corrected and 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 so forth. Sometimes but, you just have to be brave and put the idea out there. That's just that's what science is. Let's get it. That, that, that's right. The nice thing about this is, um, I, I do get emails a lot from people who have that are probably very very brilliant, and they have lots of ideas about how consciousness related to space time. But but out of a hundred emails, I won't get one where someone has said, "Here's the mathematical connection that I'm proposing." And 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 until you can do that, there's nothing that scientists can look at. Yeah. The, 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 it's when you say something, here's the mathematical connection, and this connection says you cannot have a massless boson um, with one energy having the same, you know, a plus and minus spin one. It can't be when your mathematics gets that that specific then you've got something that scientists will look at because in most times they'll say you're wrong and here you know this prediction is wrong but but until you are mathematically precise you're not even wrong mm. and and see that's the point you're not on the playing field until you can be wrong exactly there's no you, fault scientists fault. won't pay attention to you yeah the, without so that, at least i'm wrong maybe <laughs> yeah no hopefully i mean hopefully you're not wrong hopefully you're right hopefully i'm not wrong <laughs> anyway let's go to number three yeah okay so each projection is perceivable perceived by some conscious agent via a window of, of finite steps um, in which an agent observes the corresponding trace chain hmm. so so the idea is how are we going to get from the conscious agents to the observations that we make you have mass and energy and so forth hmm. well we're gonna have to use other conscious agents. We're, we're gonna have to use systems of conscious agents. So what we're gonna have are systems of conscious agents basically that um, do this mapping. What we're what we're doing right now in this proposal is we're not trying to go through and show how you construct a dynamic of conscious agents to do this. We're going to, for, for now, we're just going to make the correspondence between these recurrent communicating classes and their properties and, and space time. But ultimately we want to actually build um a if, if space-time is an interface right and it's constructed by a network of conscious agents that like it's like a neural network but it's a network of conscious agents that's doing this construction we we need to write down what that construction is and then show how it works to create that that interface um but we can do, and 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 we do plan to do that. But that's that's, you know, one step at a time. That's we have probably several years of work on this particle stuff before we actually start to do to do that. But one thing I will say on that is that my my feeling is if we take once we have built that network of conscious agents that is taking the map from conscious agents into our space time network, and we take that. And we turn it on itself. We actually use 
the interface that they construct to look at the set of conscious agents that are creating the interface. Okay. That's a really self-referential kind of thing, but this is pretty cool. What are you going to see? Hmm. Well, I think in some cases you'll see it like in, for us, it'll look like neurons and brains. Okay. (laughs) Neurons and brains are what you see in your interface when you take the network of conscious agents that that's constructing your interface and have it look at the construction process itself. And, and that's why I think neuroscience is going to be, we, we need more funding for neuroscience, mm-hmm. not less. Uh, I think neurons don't exist when they're not perceived. They, 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 so neurons cause none of our behaviors. But neurons are the symbols that we see in our interface that are the best, the symbols closest to the construction process of our interface. And, and, so neuroscience is going to be a lot more complicated than we thought. We thought, I look into brains, I see neurons and synapses and, and you know, calcium and sodium and potassium and other ions. And that's because that's what's really there. That's what's, no, no, no. That's your interface description. Yeah, exactly. it, it's hiding an unbelievably complicated dynamics behind it. You, you thought neural networks are complicated than they are, but each neuron, is hiding behind it Mm. an incredible so we need far more funding this is job security for neuroscience for a long long time to reverse engineer neurons into this network of conscious agents is going to be a lot of work so and so we're but we're not we're going to try to work on that interface but um i i suspect i'm gonna have to pass the torch to a younger generation that's that's a hard hard problem it's a lot of what i will say on on that that Point three yeah. is what we can do is is say um, what that process is going to have to do. If I have some big master Markov chain, well, typically when you're thinking about a Markov chain, uh, uh, it goes has an infinite number of steps. The, the chain has an infinite number of steps. What happens when you so suppose I have just a like a the three by three matrix, right? And I'm, uh, um, or or four by four, so, you know, small matrix. Um, well, you and I haven't lived forever. We're not seeing an infinite chain of, of steps, so we must be we must be sampling. We, we must have this this dynamics outside of space time, of conscious agents, and we have to make a sample. Maybe I have a window. Maybe it's like I look at a trillion steps which is a lot of steps or a million steps or, or a thousand steps, but it's not infinite. I mean, I mean, I'm not looking at an infinite number of steps. So we we're sampling. So now we get into the statistics of sampling. I've got this Markovian dynamics. Um, and if I, if I sample and I then look at what and estimate the kernel that I've sampled, I'm not going to get exactly the right value. I'm going to get a kernel that's maybe close. The, the more samples I have, my estimate of what the kernel is, can be closer to the real thing, but it's not going to be the real thing. So we're going to have sampling errors. And then we're also going to have, just due to temporal sampling, but you could also have what we might call spatial sampling. Suppose I have, you know, a trillion states. So I have this huge recurrent communicating class. It's got a trillion states. Well, you know, I don't think there's any computer on earth right now that could actually simulate that Markov kernel, hmm. because you you it has one trillion times one trillion 
entries. It's got, I don't know how many, there's <laughs> a lot of entries in it. And, and so to just do one step of that thing is going to be a tremendous amount of compute power just to compute one step. If you want to compute a million steps, I mean, I don't think, you know, I think supercomputers are going to be, you know, grinding to a halt. So, so simulating this thing is going to be, is going to be difficult, right? We're going to have to, but, but what we can do is talk about, I talked about there's this one huge master Markovian kernel that we can never look at. We're going to have to look at just some of its states. We can't look at all of them. And so you can take a big Markovian kernel and look at, at only what happens on a few of its states and get a new Markovian kernel. So and the, the whole Markovian kernel is influencing what you see on the smaller states, right? It is influencing them. But what you're doing is you, you're getting a, a kernel just on the small set of it. And that's called a trace process. So you, when you take a big kernel and you say, what, what kernel does it induce on a subset of states? Um, that's called a tracing process. And so, so that's going to be like spatial sampling. So we'll have temporal windows and spatial windows. And what we're going to be doing, what we're proposing in the, in this proposal is those windows are what we're going to use to try to model the, the momentum distributions of quarks and gluons mm. inside the proton. So particle scattering have, um, experiments have looked at, um, quarks and gluons inside the proton. A proton at one scale has like three valence quarks, two up and one down. But when you go at smaller spatial resolution and smaller temporal resolution, that dissolves. You see at the very finest resolution that they've gotten so far, you see a, a, what they call a, a, a gluon sea or an ocean of gluons. So it's, so it's all these massless particles just in there and they're just roiling all over the place. And then when you back off a little bit, you reduce the spatial and temporal, what they call the Bjork and X and Q squared. These are the technical terms they use. Bjork and X is like the temporal window and the Q squared is like the spatial window. When you back off, then you get to the point where the gluons, they, they say are splitting into quark antiquark pairs. And then, and so you get this, uh, what they call a quark C. You get so all this energy and momentum in, in these quarks. And then when you back off, you you still have all the gluons messing around and all these little C quarks, but then you get these three big valence quarks. So the proton is really a complicated mess. And what we're going to try to do is show that as we go from really, really small windows of um, time and larger windows of trace. We're getting closer to that gluon C. And as we back, as we trace on fewer and fewer states, so we're making the trace smaller, but we're making the, um, and we're making the temporal window bigger, then we're getting closer to the valence quarks. So what we're hoping to do is, is, is show for a, for a particular class of master kernels that we can do various trace chains and sampling windows and and model all of the um what what they call the um, momentum distributions one dimensional and then ultimately three dimensional momentum distributions um at the various bjork and x and q squared i was just going to ask you about that what is what are one dimensional momentum fractions or longitudinal momentum fractures yeah uh, apparently um the the current techniques that particle physicists have have 
allowed them to assess the momentum only in in one dimension, not all three. But there apparently there are some new techniques that that are coming online that will allow them to estimate in three dimensions. And so, so what we what we'd like to do is even before they get all the three dimensional data, if we could if we could match the one dimensional data and predict the three dimensional data before they get it, that would be really cool. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Okay, number four, uh, done. Do you want to check it up on your own, or should I? Yeah, read it? I'll pull that one up again. All right. Just this is the, this is a very interesting conversation. I'm so glad we're talking about it because the paper makes so much sense. Listening to you express yourself. Oh, good. It, it, probably easier than just reading the paper. Um, yeah. I mean, for the listeners and the viewers, whoever are too lazy to read the paper, I recommend they do. But it is a lot better to have you chat about it. <laughs> Yeah, it gives the intuitions that I what didn't, you know, we didn't have the space. This proposal, we had a, a, a specific word limit for each section. So we had to get the ideas and we couldn't really say, here, here's where our intuitions, this is what we were thinking. I'm able to do that here, but I couldn't do that in the proposal. I think that's a big function of this podcast is to allow you the opportunity to do this. Absolutely. That's, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So four says the projection perceived by a conscious agent is a discrete sampling of the trace chain. Um of a trace chain of a larger dynamics onto the states of that consciousness. So we've really gone into that. So I, I just said that, you know, there's going to be a trace chain. Um, number so five. number five is um, the particles perceived by a conscious agent depend on a subset of states and the number of steps in the window is trace. And that's the, that's the interesting thing. We, so most of us think, you know, an electron is an electron. That's because it really is an electron and a proton is a proton because it really is a proton and so forth. A quark is a quark. And this, our whole approach here forces us to say, no. There are no, in ultimate reality, there are no particles. There are no quarks, leptons, and so forth. Those are entirely artifacts of our user interface. Mm. They're not insights into the nature of objective reality. They're statistical artifacts. They're sampling artifacts. So, for example, if I have a small temporal window, suppose I've only, I, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm only looking at two states, and I only look at, say, um, three steps. And what I find in, in those three steps, project you know, that I see only three steps in my little two-state subset. And I notice that... Um, in one step, state one went to state two. And then in the next step, state two went to state one. Mm. And that's all I've got. Well, then I can I can put a matrix. My matrix would be like this. be zero, one, one, zero. That would be my matrix. Now, that might have been a projection of a, of a matrix that have numbers that were not ones and zeros in it. It might have had all sorts of weird numbers in it, right? They, there could have been... But because it's an artifact, I only looked at a small number of steps. The matrix that I see is 0, 1, 1, 0. I see a periodic matrix. In other words, I see, in our language, a massless particle. Yes. But the mass is, is not because there's a deep massless particle. It's because that's an artifact of my small sampling size. And what we're what the intuition here is, why are the physicists seeing all these massless particles when they make their temporal window so small mm -hmm. for the reason I just gave. Yeah. When you're do when you're when when you're looking at lots of states, 
and small window, you're only going to have zeros and ones everywhere in your matrix. That's all you're going to have. Those are massless. So that's why you get this gluon C. Yes. And why is it when you start to increase the temporal window and reduce the number of states that you start to see mass? Well, yeah, now you're starting to get things besides zeros and ones in your matrix. You're starting to get massive particles. Yeah. And that's the big idea about how, like a top level, we think we're going to be able to, to um, get mm. the momentum distributions for the massless, then going to massive, and then finally the, the valence um, the valence quarks. Now, an obvious for, for you know the the intelligent listener will go. You know, I mean, it's one thing to say what you just said; it's another thing to get the exact momentum distributions. And I agree. It's a, to get the exact momentum distributions. We're going to, have to do more than just the hand wave that I just said. But the hand wave lets you know that, that, that there there is some reason to hope that we could get it. Mm. But to get it exactly, we're going to have to have exactly the right class of master matrix. Right. So what is what is the bigger Markovian matrix that we're going to start with that we're going to do all the sampling for of traces and windows of time? And, and so that's going to be for our computational experiment that we proposed. And we're, we're putting together ideas about how to construct. It won't just be one master matrix. It'll be a whole class of them that, that will, will have this property. But we have a lot of freedom, frankly. We'll be able to play with this until we get a master, a, a group of master matrices that do the job. So I'm, I don't see any principled obstruction right now to us doing that. The, in, in fact, the argument might eventually go the other way. Hoffman, you had so many ways to do it. Um, what is this really telling us? And, and the answer, I think, will probably be that we had so many ways that wouldn't do it as well. So this is very interesting to ask. If, if there's this huge dynamics of conscious agents, what trivial aspect of it is being captured by our space-time? In other words, we, we think of space-time as the be-all and end-all, and what we're going to be saying is, no, no way. This is, space-time is one of an infinity of different user interfaces, an infinity. And we have to let go of the constraint on our thinking and our creativity and, and open up to the possibility that there's all these other um, interfaces. And, and so by showing that, yeah, there's maybe we'll find that there's a whole class of matrices, an infinite class of matrices that will give us our space time. But we'll show that that infinite class of matrices has measure zero in the set of bigger matrices. And that will sort of make the point that um, space time is just a headset. And, and in my view, as I've said in a number of podcasts, I, I think we, we got a cheap model. We, we yeah. got it's only three dimensions of space. I would like to be able to visualize in 20 dimensions or a thousand dimensions, and I can't. I feel I feel really, real stupid. I mean, I I, I can imagine a three-dimensional geometric puzzle and I can make yeah, I can see it. A four-dimensional geometric puzzle, completely beyond me. Mm -hmm. Ten-dimensional, now it's like theorem and proof, theorem and proof to even crawl your way up to figure out what's going on with the geometry of an object in 10 dimensions. And, and we're doing that. I mean, Chaitan and, and I and our team. We're trying to study these mark the, the the space of all possible Markov kernels, like the space of all ten by ten Markov kernels is a, is a polytope, and it's the Markov polytope of you know of, on, on on ten states, and and it's um, I've forgotten how many dimensions I think it oh it, it yeah it, well it's an n to the so it's a ten to the tenth dimensional space, and it's um, a so it's it's a 10 
Now I think it's so it's n times n minus one is the is the number of dimensions of the polytope itself, but it's embedded in an n to the oh, sorry, it's got we, this I'm making the point. Yeah. I'm now trying to talk about a higher dimensional thing, and you can see I'm 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 struggling and so forth. Where as in three dimensions, I could just see it, you could just see it. And here now it's theorem proof, theorem proof to even talk about this stuff. And so so that's why I feel like we're cheated. Um and I, you know. I would love, you know, once we take off this headset, I'd love to put on one that's, you know, that has a trillion dimensions. And boy, that'll be that'll be something. And and why only three dimensions of color? Why not a, a, a trillion dimensions of color? I mean, the mantis shrimp seems to have more than ten colors. The the pigeons have four. Mm. Humans get stuck. Most of us with only three. Yeah. I you know pigeons are apparently seeing colors that I can't even imagine. I, mean, I, I I just feel cheated, so I can't wait to um, you know. Well, I'll wait. <laughs> I'm not eager to die right away, but um, you know, hey, you think about it. They can see ultraviolet. I mean, birds can see ultraviolet. I mean, snakes right. infrared. We this we so infrared. biologically just read. Yeah, some birds I think can see polarization. We can't see polarization. Bats perceive an echolocation. What what is that like mm-hmm. to perceive an echo? I mean, they they see a three uh, quote unquote see a three D world with echolocation. What's that like? Um, there's a famous paper about what's it like to be a bat. Um, Thomas Nagel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Nagel, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, no, let's move on to number six then. Done. Six. Yeah. So larger subsets of states and smaller windows of sampling seem under stimulations to favor periodic perceptions, which we conjecture project to massless particle. Yeah, that was exactly the point I was just making. That with you know the smaller temporal window with more states than your trace it's more likely that you'll get just zeros and ones in the, in the kernel that you create and therefore it'll be a massless particle. So, so that was, yeah. So So we went through all six. Yeah. So you've, 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 that's, I think, first of all, that's a brilliant page in its own, but talk to me about the, the, uh, towards the end of the paper, I think you talk about future experiments, the computational experiment that you proposed. Um, Right. Let's talk about that. What's, what's, what is the next step here altogether? Well, so the the next step, I think, is we're going to need some bigger computers because <laughs> um, these Markov chains, you know, as you as the number of states grows, as n grows, mm-hmm. the number of entries in the Markov kernel grows as n squared. If it's, it's it, Gross exponential. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to continue to go. It's, it's, it's huge. Mm. Um, so the the next step is going is going to be. Um, uh, uh, I think there's a, a, a few steps, and so I can use this as a recruiting time. <laughs> we, <laughs> we need uh, it's, we need some geniuses mm. to to help us out. Um, the, the pedestrian thing will be to find, and it's not pedestrian, but it's, you know, relatively pedestrian to, as I mentioned, to find this class of master Markov chains and the set of um, subsets of states and windows, temporal windows that will give us the momentum distributions that are seen inside the core. Mm-hmm. But now there's, but, but, and so, but that's, that's just the first baby. That's what this proposal is about. And that's the whole thing for this proposal. But that, that's obviously just the first baby step. And if we can't do that, then we're wrong. 
And but if we do that, that doesn't mean we've <laughs> we're done. It means we've taken our very first baby step. There's this huge world to explore now. So I mean, a part of the exploration, um, we really then want to understand in greater detail this mapping from the Markovian dynamics, the, the Markov kernels, um, through decorated permutations into space-time. That that really needs, right now the and the physicists are working really hard on that. I mean, among them are Nimar Kani Hamed and his collaborators, and they have they were the ones who discovered the decorated permutations, the amplitudehedron, but but they haven't stopped there. They're they're looking they're looking they've got stuff on um, effective field theories and 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 what they call the EFThedron, and so there's, I think a lot of algebraic geometry. We need an algebraic geometer, someone with a a brilliant mind and a PhD in algebraic geometry mm-hmm. to work with us on. And, and so if someone, if, if there's someone who's listened to this and you have a PhD in algebraic geometry and you find this interesting, contact me because we, we, um, we had one, we had, had a, a wonderful friend, Bruce Bennett and brilliant algebraic geometer. And he, he, he died. We've lost him. And we, we need an algebraic geometer to, um, to, to help us here because the a lot of the stuff is the, the connections we need to make require algebraic geometry and that is an incredibly difficult branch of mathematics mm-hmm. uh, it's it's way above my pay grade i mean way above my pay grade yeah so we need we need people way above my pay grade here to 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 work on this but that will really nail down right our mapping between markov kernels and decorated permutations and the algorithm we we I mean that's an important link but it's like the the initial bridge. We need to build a multi lane highway, you know, to to bridge the conscious agent domain into space time. So we re- really need. Now that we know that we think we have a connection, we need to have really smart people working with us to help us. You know, where, where I you know I won't even be able to understand what they say. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> algebraic geometry is really really, but I will try. I will I will give it my my level best. So there's there's a ton of work in algebraic geometry to really nail down exactly how the properties of the Markovian dynamics map to properties like unitarity, uh, locality, and so forth inside space time, and really all the all the complexities of uh, that the physicists have found in quantum field theory. I mean, quantum field theory is incredibly complicated. Kind of thing. There are all sorts of interesting effects, Casimir effect, and all this this interesting stuff. Um, getting these momentum distributions inside the proton, we chose that not because it's the most important, but because we think it's the the e, perhaps the easiest thing we could do immediately to make people say, "Oh, yeah. well, it's not obviously wrong." Okay, you know, they they can do something. It's small, but they can do something. Maybe then we can get. I mean, real smart people. Yeah. way above my pay grade who can then start to move in who know their quantum field theory and know algebraic geometry and, and there are a bunch of other branches of mathematics that are going to be so so in other words if we if we succeed beyond my wildest hopes in this we will have only taken a tiny baby step and we really need reinforcements from really smart people to to move it forward yeah and a lot of different math and mathematics is going to be the, the king here well of course we need the theoretical physicists who know the current theoretical physics, because we—that's what we have to project to as the limiting case. But mm-hmm. for my money, it's going to be the mathematical physicists yes. who are going to really be able to bring this thing home. 
I think, well, to just summarize this last part of the paper, you said the computational experiment proposed here explores how the strong force which dominates inside protons may arise from a dynamics of conscious agents. Future computational experience, experiments will explore gravity, the weak force, the electromagnetic force, dark matter, and cosmology from the Big Bang to the entropic death of the universe. I mean, there's so many areas here you're going to explore. Wh which ones are you most excited about? <laughs> Well, they're, they're, I feel like a kid in a candy store. I want to know them all, and I want to explore them all. But but each one is um, will, will require a team of geniuses, yeah, different expertise um, as well to, to do it. But I'll, I'll just give you um, one. I mean, the here, here's one that's really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, our dynamics of conscious conscious ages, the Markovian dynamics. need not have an arrow of time. It's, so it's a dynamical system, but it need not have an arrow of time. You, by that, I mean you can write down a Markovian dynamics in which the entropy doesn't increase. Mm. Ah. There's, no, there's no second law of thermodynamics in it. But if you, it's a theorem that if you take such a dynamics and you project it, by conditional probability. So I'm, I've got this big dynamics, it has no error of time, but I'm I'm gonna project it in a way that loses a little bit of information, And but I've got a, like a, a, a projected dynamics. So I've got a new Markovian dynamics, but it's, it's slightly simpler than the bigger one because it's a projection. The new dynamics will have an error of time because it lost information. So the projection will have increasing entropy. Now, that suggests that's very suggestive to me that once again here we are in a world that we think is ruled by the second law of thermodynamics exactly it started with the big bang is going to end maybe in an entropic death or some big crunch who knows mm -hmm. but it's going to it, it, it's got a, a a finite shelf life <laughs> um, on this universe and and things are running down and that that's a fundamental principle in physics. It's also the fundamental thing in evolution of natural selection, right? Where um, the fundamental limited resource that we're competing against is time, mm. right? If I don't get food in time, I die. If I don't mate in time, the species doesn't survive. So, so time is the fundamental limited resource. And so this, this fact suggests to me that, uh, of course, we expected to get space and time as artifacts of the projection. So space and time are not fundamental. They're, art, they're, they're not fundamental to the deeper reality. They're only properties of this projection. Well, here's here's how time is an artifact. It's, it's, it's a theorem. Yeah. You can have no entropic arrow of time, but when you take a projection, you will necessarily have. An, so it's an artifact. It's not an, so our arrow of time is not an insight into reality. Time is not fundamental. That that notion of time is not fundamental. It's entirely artifactual. And that means, and I've done a lot of work in evolution of natural selection, and and you know, and I'm very uh, interested in evolutionary game theory. And I think evolution is absolutely the best and cleanest scientific model we have to explain biological evolution and so forth. So I love that theory. But but this is saying. That that is a theory inside our space-time interface. It's wonderful theory inside our space-time interface. It does not generalize beyond. We could imagine that. So, so I'll, I'll, be, I'll say 
Inside space and time, we have organisms competing for limited resources and going extinct and so forth. We have an arrow of time. But that could be a projection of a Markovian dynamics where there are no, there is no competition, there are no limited resources, and there is no arrow of time. And and so what what ultimately uh, another thing I'd love to do is to show exactly how evolution of a natural selection arises as the projection of a dynamics where there is no competition and no limited resources. And that see that's what we really want. Um, when we transcend a previous scientific theory, we don't disrespect it. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Right? We respect Newton. What a genius. I mean, hats off to Newton. He was brilliant, and but it's limited. Mm. Einstein is better. But but space-time itself is doomed, and so we're going to transcend space-time. But we're going to, again, hats off to Einstein, to quantum field theory, and to evolution of natural selection. Whatever new theory we propose beyond space-time has to project into space-time and give us back those theories. Yes. That's what that's going to be the discipline that our new theory has to to satisfy before we are willing to saddle up on that pony and take it where it's going to go. If if that if that doesn't give us back, you know, Einstein and Darwin and quantum field theory and so forth inside space time, then that's not the horse we need to ride. That that's the wrong horse. So these theories are still doing incredible work for us. So so you can see the attitude is not oh we're right and they're wrong and those, those stupid no 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 that was brilliant work and every scientific theory is just the next baby step mine included yes you know century from now hopefully much much sooner if this holds up it'll be viewed as just a next baby step and we know far you know the next generation will know far deeper and 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 will understand what i've done what we've done is as just a special case of something far more general. And that's just the nature of science. There is no theory of everything. Yes. Exactly. In principle, there can be no theory of everything because every scientific theory starts with assumptions. We need to tell, can't have a theory. We need to tell Kurt that. <laughs> is Kurt that, Jamungle? Yeah. Or, to, or, there's no theory of everything. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yes, theory of everything. Well, and, and I, I think most scientists who talk about a theory of everything is with a wink and a nod. Um, because I think they understand that. Uh, and I think Kurt as well. I think he understands that. That goes with this that, podcast as well, when you think about it, because I called it mind-body solution, paying homage to the mind-body problem, but I don't really think I've got, we're going to find the solution. It's more of a, it's just in the name. It works. Yeah, that's right. The, <laughs> the hunt. Yes, it's more of a hunt. But, but in principle, we can never get a final theory of everything because every theory has to have assumptions. And that, those are the things that you don't assume. Right. That you, I'm sorry, that you don't explain. You assume them, but you don't explain them. Exactly. So that means we'll never get the final ex explanation. Mm. Um, although we may be ourselves the final explanation. There are you know theories in which you are what you're looking for, yeah. but 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 you'll never be able to write it down. So you are it, but, but you can't write it down because you transcend anything that you can write down. Mm. Um, but... This is infinite job security for science, and I, and I love that. love that as well. I mean, your goal is to give the scientific community a reason to take seriously the idea that consciousness is fundamental, that consciousness can be modeled with precise mathematics and make precise experimental predictions. 
and that the dynamics of consciousness gives rise to space-time by space-time physics by, by right. projection. Yeah. And when you think about this whole journey and everything you've done regarding this paper specifically, what has been the most fascinating aspect of it all and just the coolest part of it all for you? Uh, for, for me, it blew me away. A couple of things blew me away just in the last year. A year ago, we didn't have this mapping into the from Markov chains to the decorated permutations. Yeah. And when we could do that, a light went on in me. I go, oh, wow, this is real. This, this, this is a real potential here. And then when we said, okay, well, you know, that's, that's cool, but you need to get mass, spin, and energy momentum, and you've got to get those from kernels. Good luck. And when we started, when they started cracking, when we started getting what we just described it today. Um, and then when we got that, that hyperfine structure prediction, that really, that was when I began to start to believe that this might be the next baby step. This, this might actually be, it, it, it I, I couldn't believe it seemed too good to be true as, you know, so we'll, but we'll see. Um, Maybe it is too good to be true. <laughs> Maybe it is. But but what what I would say is is this um, the the thing you read at the end about trying to make precise predictions and so forth. That's that's what makes what we're doing here different from um, panpsychist mm. approaches, where um, and and uh, again th these are my good friends and so forth. So there's nothing personal here at all. Um, um, but. And panpsychism means a lot of things. So I'll say the, the version of panpsychism that I'm thinking about here is a version in which we take space-time as fundamental, we take quantum field theory as given, and the particles of you know, the, the standard model is given, the leptons, bosons, and quarks. And what we do is we say um, consciousness is the fire behind those equations. Each particle has, you know, an electron has some conscious experience a gluon has some conscious and the different colors of gluons have different conscious experiences and so forth. And, um, my, my attitude about that is there's no progress. We're, we're not explaining consciousness We're it, it's panpsychism, but that version that I just talked about of panpsychism is really a dualism. Yeah. Physics stuff is real. And in addition, there's consciousness behind it and there's no principle. Why should the elect what experience, what specific experience should the electron have? And how does that differ from the electron neutrino and the tau neutrino and the tau and the mu? What are the specific experiences that are attached to each one and why? No one's trying that. And good luck. <laughs> so to so to just say that there are experiences, from me as a, from my point of view as a scientist, nothing's been accomplished nothing has been accomplished it's a dualism for the version i just said what we're trying to do in contrast is say okay we're not assuming the standard model that space-time is fundamental they're not part of our assumptions we have to derive them all of it we're assuming consciousness conscious experiences is fundamental and we're going to have to project into space-time and, and give and, and explain all that and that seems i mean we haven't done it yet, so you know I'm, I'm not congratulating myself, but I'm saying that that at least the, that attempt, that direction of attempt, is very different from saying 
well, electrons have experiences and tau and muon have experiences and quarks and glue. It, 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 as a scientist, I find that exceedingly unsatisfying. I don't see where it's going to go in terms of giving me a ma new mathematics that can actually do something, yes. make predictions, and eventually make new technology. Yes. If this approach we're talking about works, if we can actually talk about the dynamics of conscious agents outside space-time, and we understand what particles are and what mass is, and we understand how space-time is constructed as an interface, then think about what you can do. If you're playing Grand Theft Auto, you're, you're, you're a user, you might be a, a super user, and you're able to drive your car and, out, and outrun everybody. It, that's fantastic. That's, that's a great skill. But if you know the code, if you understand Grand Theft Auto is just a piece of software, and you wrote the code, or you know how it's written, then you can do stuff that's completely miraculous to the guy who's the expert inside Grand Theft Auto. You can take the, all the gas out of his tank. You can change. You can give him flat tires. You can take away a steering wheel. Or you could change the geometry of the road he's driving. You can do, or you can get him from A to B without going through the space. You can just get him, you can just, you could appear anywhere you want to in space. So if we really, if, if it's really possible for us to show how space-time is just a headset, and we know the, the software of conscious agents that, that creates that headset, and, and and it turns out we can tinker with that software. I mean, there's a question of whether we can tinker with it. But if we can tinker with it, then the Andromeda galaxy is what, something like 2.4 million light years away. Going through space-time, we're not going to get there anytime soon. But what if we don't have to go through space-time? What if we can just go around space-time and just be there? That The technologies that this might open up are completely mind-blowing. So... So that's, and again, I'm not saying that it's it's guaranteed, but I, I can guarantee you that the panpsychus version thing that I said, we'll never get there. there, there there's nothing that, that even has a hope. This at least has a hope. We'll see if the hope is dashed, but at least it's a direction where it it might happen. We'll see. I mean, if it does, it's absolutely crazy. I'm pretty sure someone who's listening to this last portion of the podcast, if they just decided to listen to it, they think we're talking about some crazy things. <laughs> but, I mean, it's highly plausible when you take everything into account. It makes sense. That's that's could possibly be the future. That's right. But to someone who believes in flat Earth, around Earth is, is a crazy thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Done. I mean, this is the last time we did this thing where I told you last minute objections, anything you think you're going to get any sort of uh, feedback on, perhaps counter arguments. This is the your lot like a chance for you to just express certain views and anything about this paper that you find you didn't speak about yet that you want to just clarify or mention. I'll, I'll, just one thing that I'll I'll point out. Um, these are objections that I get all the time in emails um, from people, and they'll they'll say um, also two things. So Hoffman, of course, you, you say that what we see is not the truth; is you know it's our construction. Well, you know, what if a car hits you from behind? You didn't see it coming, but it still killed you. So there, there you go. <laughs> it's all over. You, 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 you know, the car really does exist, and 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 that's that's simply just not a, not a counterexample. I mean, if you're 
um, if you're again in Grand Theft Auto, right, and 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 you're driving and, and you there's a well, if you look behind you and you see that the red Porsche is about to come up and crash you from behind, right? Well, if you don't look, you're not going to see that red Porsche and you're not going to render it. So there's no red Porsche, right? There in the supercomputer, there is no red Porsche. Does that mean that you're not going to get hit from behind anyway and 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 have damaged? No, you're still going to get hit. But there was no red Porsche. There's some reality, namely the supercomputer and the software, that's going to enforce. <laughs> um, but the reality is not what you see in your headset. So that that's so for that whole class of arguments. Well, Hoffman, why don't you step off a cliff? It, it will kill you, even if you don't think it's real. All those just. My my response for for people who have those objections, if you just think about putting on a headset and being in a virtual reality game, just run your question the same thing that you think is an objection to what I'm saying. Just run it in virtual reality and see if it still flies there. When you think about it in virtual reality, you'll realize, oh wow, it would happen even if I didn't render it. And this, and, and but it doesn't the the render thing doesn't exist. The, the Porsche doesn't exist. The cliff doesn't exist until I render it. But the software is not the Porsche or the cliff. The software is something utterly outside the headset. And that that is a reality. So I'm not denying reality. I'm just I'm denying that space-time is the reality. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one objection. The other objection, and hopefully that will <laughs> you know save a lot, you know, thousands of people having to write me emails saying, you know, here's an obvious objection to what you're saying. The funny thing about that is is that you obviously claim that consciousness is fundamental, but then you've got people like Dennett and Frankish who also get told the same counter argument. I mean, if consciousness doesn't exist, I get knocked by a bus. <laughs> Did it really that, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's quite funny because exactly, <laughs> I'm conscious and I've Yeah, that's quite uh, funny. And by the way, they're they're, I, they're both wonderful men i mean even though we disagree i mean i i they're, they're great and then they're brilliant and i'm glad to have people that bright that disagree <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you you just uh, just raised real quick um is the objection that when i say that evolution by natural and i didn't go that into that too much today but when i say that evolution by natural selection um, we use evolutionary game theory to show that um, we evolved not to see the truth, that, that natural selection would not shape us to see the truth. Um, there are a lot of people, including some professional philosophers, who have, have come back and said that is um, self-contradictory. And the contradiction is this. Right? So evolution with natural selection, Darwin's idea is that there are physical objects called organisms competing in space and time for physical resources like food and space. And now evolutionary game theory is a mathematical statement that's supposed to capture Darwin's idea. Now, either evolutionary game theory succeeded and it faithfully represents Darwin's ideas, or it didn't. If it didn't, then you can't use evolutionary game theory to show that organisms and space-time are, are doomed okay and if it did if 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 evolutionary game theory does successfully capture darwin's ideas then you couldn't possibly use it to show that he was wrong yeah so there's no way that you can do what you're doing without shooting yourself in the foot logically either way so you so uh, as one philosopher put it you know hoffman is in an unfortunate dialectical situation <clears throat> 
Okay, so I'm in an unfortunate dialectical situation. And and my response is, no, I'm in the normal situation of how science progresses from one theory to the next. The way science progresses is you take your ideas, like Einstein's idea, that space-time is fundamental and the speed of light is universal. And that if you're an elevator and you're falling, you'll be massless. You, you, would, you, you would weigh nothing. Those are his intuitions. He labors and labors and labors for, for general relativity for many, many years. And, and sleepless nights, deep, deep struggle. In 1915, he puts down his field equations. Okay. Now, when you use Einstein's field equations and also his, his 1905 paper where he uses Planck's constant to essentially introduce quantum theory, although he didn't like it, he introduces quantum theory. When you bring in quantum field theory, which which is based on space-time, and you bring in Einstein's gravity, so they, which are all assume space-time is fundament, fundamental. You look at the mathematics. The mathematics tells you that space-time has no operational meaning beyond the Planck scale, 10 to the minus 33 centimeters, 10 to the minus 43 seconds. In other words, Einstein's theory that was capturing his intuitions about space-time comes back and tells us that space-time itself cannot be fundamental. So, Einstein is now in this very unfortunate dialectical situation. Either these mathematically precise theories captured Einstein's intuitions, or they did not. Mm. If they did not, then they couldn't possibly show that space-time was not fundamental. And if they did capture his, his intuitions, then they wouldn't contradict him. That's the mistake. They wouldn't contradict him. Every scientific theory has premises. And the, when you make, but it has a limited scope. Every scientific theory has a limited scope. When you write down the mathematics, what you hope is your mathematics is precise enough to find what is the limited scope of your assumptions. How far do your assumptions go and where do they stop? Because a scientific theory is not a theory of everything. It's has a limited range. So what the power of science is, is we make our mathematics, our, our assumptions precise, not so that our assumptions can never be disproved, but so that we can find their limits and say, space-time is great until you get to 10 to the minus 33 centimeters and then goodbye. And, and so that's the way science progresses is by one set of equations capturing one set of intuitions and showing you their limits and then being the the test bed for your next set of ideas because you're now you have to take a leap right there's this and this is the fun of science well part of the fun i mean the mathematics is fun too if you're a mathematician it's hard for me yeah i can see how it could be fun but it's just hard for me but the the fun is now you have to take a creative leap to get a new framework and then project it back into the old framework and make sure you get that old framework or generalization of that old framework. The, the old framework can't tell you what leap to take, but it can tell you if the leap was wrong because if it doesn't project back to, to so, so that's how science progresses. It's not that 
if our mathematical theories capture our intuitions, they could never prove us wrong. It's that, that mathematical theories that capture our intuitions better show us the limits of those of those assumptions, um, or they're not terribly useful, mm. right? Because because we know we don't we know we don't have the final theory. We know that. The only question is: Are our equations smart enough to help us to see the limits of our current theory, or not? If 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 not, then our mathematics hasn't gone far enough. We need to get a deeper mathematics to find the limits of our current. Mm-hmm. So so that's uh, at some point, I have to write a paper to respond to you know because this has been published the, the, in philosophy journals and so forth, and so I, I'll I'll need to, but there you know. There's a finite amount of time, and I, I think addressing it here is is easy. It takes me ten minutes to address it. Writing the paper would take me months, and I'm not sure at this point in my life I want to spend months doing that when I have some other more fun stuff to do. Exactly. So I may, who knows? I may never respond in writing. This may be the only thing I do. Um, we'll see. I think. Look, ideally, you're doing a great job at the moment. I mean, I've, I've watched many of your podcasts. You do you, you do such a fantastic job at a certain. St- repetitive answers that you've got that work perfectly. So when I watch some of your interviews, I'll enjoy that some of your answers answers are well rehearsed in the sense that you know exactly what's been working and what isn't. Uh, and I think that, that's, that's right. This can be very complicated. So it's, it's yeah. helpful to cut through it all and, and try to get to the clean intuition because otherwise it can be very murky. Yeah, yeah. Don, before we end this paper specifically, I mean, uh, let's just summarize it. The fact is that subatomic particles created from consciousness that's that's pretty much what we're talking about that, that's that's the proposal I, I wouldn't say the fact but i would say that that's the proposal anything about this paper that you want to talk about in detail specifically that you feel we haven't touched on that you want to address uh not not today except to say that um it should be posted pretty soon and within a week and a half it should be posted um online and i'll i'll send i can send you a link to yeah. when uh, the institute of noetic sciences posts a link but it's going to be um saturday june 24th at 11 o'clock a.m pacific time that there's going to be um a, a, a live zoom where um all the, the three groups that got uh, awarded this prize will be um discussing their proposals so i recommend you know it's free people can log on yeah and I'm excited for that. Uh, thank you, Don. It's uh, once again a pleasure. It's always been a pleasure to uh, been following thank you so much, Devin. I really appreciate it. I mean, I, I, you I, ask I, great questions. And I thank you so much. I mean, I've been. I can't wait to continue to watch this journey and hopefully continue to interact about it. Every paper that comes out, you can expect an email from me. <laughs> I'll be happy to. Do, I'll, I'll be happy to make. I'll alert you to the papers too. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Don. And good luck. Thank I, can, you, I cannot wait for this paper to be published and. I'm looking forward to the, I think the viewers are in for a treat for this one. I mean, it's, it's pretty epic work. Thank you so much.